Okay. Here's the cold open, everybody. Hello. Hi. Do you know what burnout is? We're millennials. We're quite familiar with the concept. Long story short, I had that Psychonauts video I finally uploaded. Got like three views, and that feels absolutely goddamn terrible. But whilst making it, it took me far longer to do it than it should have, because every time I went to edit it, I felt terrible. And I edited the podcast, and it was a chore. And my brain, whatever part of it finds joy in editing things, has been really fizzled out. This is a very long way of saying, Amber, I'm going to fill time on this episode, usually with what is my rough draft for a video essay. Let's kind of talk it, because I didn't feel like thinking about Psychonauts this week. So how you doing, buddy? fucking bad dude <laughs> um have i talked about feeling bad on this podcast before it's been a shit ass year for me just the whole fucking year of 2022 um at time of recording although you know time of recording um it's it is it is july 13th of 2022 and i honestly i think the rest of the year is gonna get a lot better I got my, uh, I got, I got, uh, I'm scheduled for getting my boob job, um, which is exciting. I don't, Ooh. we're doing personal updates on this channel now, apparently. Yeah, I've got less than two weeks. By the time this airs, I will have, like, whole titties, entire titties, um, all, all of my own, which is, which is really exciting. Yeah, I don't know, like, like, shitty week, but optimistic for, like, most weeks are, are better than the previous week is what I've been saying, and I'm, I'm optimistic for... Um, like what the weeks are gonna look like going forward, I guess is what I what I would say. Yeah. Hell yeah, that's excellent. And speaking of excellent things, our podcast is pretty top notch. And what do we do on this podcast? We, Amber Autumn and I, talk about your favorite intellectual properties, medias, concepts, long standing franchises, short stories, young adult fiction novels, and we make a fictional character within that space at the end of our talk. He's so right. He's everything he just said is true. He's right about it. He stole my bit. I'm supposed to tell you what the thing is, but um, I'm sad, so he's doing <laughs> Peek behind the curtain, everyone. Podcast hosts can get sad. If you cut us, do we not bleed? Do we not bleed promo codes? <laughs> so I do have a question of the week, but I'm going to fill time with asking you other questions. So yeah. here's just one of those. So, Amber, here's a question for you. I've said question yeah. a lot, and now it's starting to fizzle out in my brain, much like the ever-present feeling of burnout! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good one. Well done. When you make a character in a Dungeons & Dragons, do you start with class first, or do you make a character and then... I'm thinking of the word that's not retrofit, but when you deconstruct a thing... Reverse engineer reverse engineer a class based on the character because i think i always start with class and then move forward yeah i i would say i do the same thing i i i like the thing about D D as an rpg is that i really tend to enjoy it as as a tactical miniatures game we've talked about this like like you like you talked about this i think um on on twitter recently um about like D is like extremely plastic game in in culture like obviously i'm prone to i'm partial to a lot of like other tabletop role-playing games but you know as far as D D is the as as the or rpg that exists in culture um it's it's extremely plastic and people can do a lot of different things with it and some people really like it as a, a, a crunchy game and some people really like it as like an immersive theater game and some people really like it as an excuse to dress up in colorful costumes and i tend to really like it as a as a as a as a tactical minis game, I go to other games if I really want to get deep into the theater thing. I really like the, like, Last of Us style, oil and water, do a combat scene, do a talkie scene, do a combat scene, do a talkie scene way of playing the game. And because I do love the mechanics of D&D and I really love fighting in it as a, a central feature, yeah, I like to start with class. I like to start with mechanics and then and then use that as a creative prompt to build my character out from there. That was more than you asked for on that question. Um. No, that's perfect, because we're filling time, because I didn't fake write a video essay for this one. No, totally. And yeah, it's really cool. I don't think of D&D as a miniature strategy game. I'm going to use that in the script I'm writing, because I was like, I feel like there should be another thing I say D&D is before I get to the main point. So thank you Fuck for that. Yeah, I'm helping. <laughs> I'm, I'm fucking productive, baby. <laughs> we did it. But yeah, more or less what you said, I 
tend to go, okay, what does the party need? What's a class I can do? How into the archetype or against the archetype do I feel like doing it? And here is another question in this vein. So leveling. Because yeah. I haven't been able to play D&D in years. So I've yeah. been listening to real play podcasts and making a character along with them and leveling as they do. And for Dungeons & Daddy Season 2, I have a character, Bull. Check out that episode of the podcast we did to learn more about them, baby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they recently got to level 3, and when you get to level 3 monk, you get your whatever the fuck it is, and they're all the specializations. And there's one, I don't remember the name of it, but essentially you get, like, cure minor wounds with one fist, and the other fist can do necrotic damage. And I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense for who Bull is as a character. I feel like that goes into, like, the duality of this bully who has a secret soft side and really cares about this group so they can hurt and heal get that knuckle tat but then i saw astral self and essentially you get a fucking stand from jojo's bizarre adventure and i went that's fucking cool and not only is that cool to me i think bull would think that's cool and there's no way i'm not picking that so do you approach leveling as a means to reflect the internal nature sort of reinforced characterization or is it your character improving the tools which they have to do damage like do they level in the sense of i am becoming more optimized in doing what i'm here to do or do you find the things that go oh jack of all trades that sounds like seraphim i picked it before i read what it did I've definitely done the jack-of-all-trades thing. Like, literally with, I think, the skill jack-of-all-trades back when we played our, like, pa- our, our, our Pathfinder game back in high school. Or maybe, maybe it was, like, even our 4 our 4E D&D game. I, I, I literally did take jack-of-all-trades for that exact purpose. But, yeah, like, again, I think with D&D specifically, it, it does tend to be the other way around. It does, it does tend to be, um, yeah, like, my character is getting better at the thing that they do. Like, I can feel all of the, like, TTRPG nerds in our audience who are my friends, like, getting pissed at me for, like, all of this stuff. I can I can hear it happening, but I play it mechanics first. I do. Oh, okay. Well, that's super different from me, the person who is very talkative about how much I don't give a fuck about mechanics. I know. Look at us. That's, that's peanut butter and jelly. Mm-hmm. And now, Amber... We've reached the actual question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what were you actually asking about this whole time? So, from a character creation standpoint, what's your favorite tabletop RPG? Like, which one nearly gets you excited about making a character? Oh, wow. Um, shit, yeah. I'm literally, like, physically going to, like, stare at my, my RPGs that I have on my shelf. Yeah, I'm 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 physically going to to like pour through some books here. There there's like there's like the two ends that you can go to. Um uh and you can you can go on the like crunchy end with the D&Ds that we've been talking about and you can go on the soft end. And like there's a lot to love on the soft end. I really spend a lot of time in the soft end. My games that I have that I that I have made and continue to make are soft end games. Um and in terms of those, I really love Fall of Magic, a game that I, I cannot sing Fall of Magic's praises highly enough. It's probably my favorite game ever made. Like, the character creation in that game is so fucking simple. Like, they give you a list of names to choose from and a list of titles to choose from. And then, like, so much of it is just created through play. And, the like, the simplicity of it and the open-endedness of it is, like, really part of it for me. Um, but I think genuinely, looking at the games on my shelf, if I had to pick one that I would genuinely be the most excited to make a character in right now, it would be Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Uh, it would be. I, like, I love... It's it's super involved. There's all these options that you can make that are, like, strategic gamic choices at the same time as their character choices. Um, I love the setting. I do. I know, like, j- like, high fantasy generic is fucking boring. But, like, as soon as you give me high fantasy and you put guns in it, I'm like, oh, ho, 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 ho. Ho, ho, ho. You know, what now, I you mean? know, you're talking you know to I mean? me, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've never gotten tired of high fantasy once in my life, and I love, I love that about you. I do. That's my answer. It's, I guess, it's Pathfinder Two E, a game I have never played. By the way, maybe that'll be my next game. My current, my my most recent game has fallen apart because uh, my ex was in it, and we and we and we we broke up. Um, she dumped me, um, and so now we're not playing that game anymore. 
Um, and I'm I'm in the market for another group. So who fucking knows? Maybe I'll maybe I'll run a Pathfinder game or play in a Pathfinder game. Wouldn't that be cute? I miss playing in games. I miss playing in games. I never do it anymore. I'm really good at it. And Aren't that's I good crazy. At it? Tell everyone I'm good at it, Devin. I've been in the mood to DM something, so maybe we could make something work. Yeah, but I, you're, but you're, but we're in different time zones. Yeah, and also I'm pretty sure we both hate playing over Skype. There's something I really fucking love sucks. about the about the tact. I fuck. I want to be in the room with yeah! people. The tactility and like the the physical presence of it matters so fucking much. I approach this shit like a theater kid. I want to stand up when I am playing D and D. Absolutely. No, when you and I play RPGs, we're larping. Like, <laughs> like there's so few tables involved at our tabletop RPGs. Like you sit down to roll the dice and then you stand up again. Yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. So I guess I have to answer the question, and because I'm not a mechanic guy, my answer won't be interesting. And I'm also not that explored into the wider world of tabletop RPGs. So just to say something that isn't D&D, Shadowrun? Interesting, yeah. I like making a character yeah, in Shadowrun. Yeah. Who doesn't love a cyberpunk? Yeah, man. I know so little about the lore of Shadowrun, but just the aesthetics really tickle the brain in a way that incentivize making a character. It's fun. Yeah, it is. I, I might have like a couple of games I can... Throw it. You, you might want to try the spire at some point. So on to the episode. So Amber. Yeah, that's me. Hello. What are what the fuck are we talking about today? I'm gonna throw you a curveball here because yeah. I don't I don't want to fucking talk about psychonauts, man. Yeah. So what if that question was a ploy to get a a prompt from you? What if instead of psychonauts, instead of creepy freaks, things will probably revisit. What if we made characters in Pathfinder? Oh I make God. one, you make one. Holy we do the shit. thing where you make characters with a pre-existing history. We do that. We see how these two separate ideas we've had can connect. And then after that, we collaboratively make one like we usually do on the podcast. And then one day, when I'm burned out again, we can revisit this setting, do it again, and then we have a whole party. That's okay. So I'm intrigued by the idea. What I will say is that that sounds like it would be a really fucking long episode. That sounds like a three hour long episode to me. Here's the thing. We don't actually roll them out on recording. We just come up with ideas. We can okay. do the mechanic shit off screen. Okay. Well, I am going to pull out my books then, though. I'm, I'm okay. Pathfinder characters, okay. These are these are the books I own for a game that I, I have not played and have never made specific plans to play. All of these in pocket edition, so I so that I can afford them, you know, so that I'm I'm spending thirty dollars a book instead of sixty dollars a book. Um, although they should all be more expensive than that. Everything should be more expensive than that. But I have I have the core rule book, um, I have the advanced player's guide, and I have uh, Guns and Gears, which is a source book for it for for the steampunk stuff because I'm an in fucking sufferable nerd. Because all of the books that I get are just, like, more character-building options because I wasn't kidding about being excited about character-building in this game. Man, remember Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, all the little side books that were just for classes? That shit got me so excited. Dude, I... <sighs> Fucking D&D are good. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. D&D are good. D&D are good. So I might end up going against my usual class first because I'm very removed from Pathfinder to the point where I don't remember specific classes and I kind of already have an idea for a character I'd like to make. I will say that I can read a bunch of shit out to you if you have any interest in that, but if you want to just like go for it, um, if you already have a thing, uh, I think you should do it. Okay, well, if you think I should do it. All right, so... I was listening to Critical Role, Tales of Exandria, and I was like, well, what would I do if I was here? I'd go, Brendan, can I be a shark man? And Brendan would go, well, I sent you 20 pages of lore. And I'd go, but Brendan, <laughs> I have sex with people. Can I be a shark man? Surely you can be a shark man. I'm going to look through 
the different um there's not actually races in pathfinder 2e um it's it's ancestries yeah. it, it, i mean i mean it's it's the same concepts um but they don't call it races anymore because obviously Listen, because obviously are you going to sit here and tell me that the long-standing both fantasy and Dungeons and Dragons trope of having any half-breed race is always a horrible thing is problematic? Yeah, um yeah, that's what I yeah, I'm telling you that. Listen, Tannis Half-Elven, though very important for many a mixed nerd who read Dragonlance, his origin story is also that he's a rape baby. So, you know, you just got to take what you can do. <laughs> sometimes you get mixed kid feels from Balto, and sometimes it's a fantasy novel, so it's not great. <laughs> but anyways, my shark man. Your shark man. I can't find any um, ancestries in my books that let you be a shark man, but I'm just going to assume that there's a source book out there that lets you do that somewhere. Yeah, and if not, we do the thing where it's like, yeah, let me be a shark man, and I'll just use the stat block for fucking half-orcs or something. It's fine. Right, exactly. I like the idea of King Shark, but he's got some steampunk doodads that keep water around his gills. I just think that's a cool visual. And I want, like, this almost always half-naked shark because he's an animal, so he believes in, like, the, the freedom of body expression. But more than that, he's covered in both... His body is art, right? It's covered in a myriad of tattoos and scars, all of which tell a story of his life and his struggle, and why would he ever want to cover these up? He's earned every one of these, and everyone should be able to see it to know what he's done. And he's got, like... He's like an enforcer, right? Because he's led a hard life, but he's trying to settle down. And he's disillusioned from his son. His son doesn't want to talk to him. He doesn't want the grandkids around because living this hard life got his mom killed. And now the son doesn't like him because he's like, mom would still be here. But if you weren't who you were, mom would still be here. And my shark guy goes, if I wasn't who I was, your mom wouldn't have loved me. And uh, that's that's the rough draft of this shark man with a struggling relationship with his son because he's a hard bastard and he wants to be better but he doesn't know how because he's a literal shark man Devin, i have i have a question about this podcast in general about the general podcast that we've set up the entire time every single episode of this podcast mm -hmm. do you have any feelings about your dad do you have just any feelings in general about your dad in the world no have not any? a single one <laughs> okay just checking i I was pretty sure that was the answer, but I just wanted to I wanted to make sure, you know what I mean? I don't wanna what do I wanna say here. Oh, the fucking Becca episode's gonna come out and we're gonna talk about my dad. But anyways, oh, there's good. a reason Guardians of the Galaxy two made me cry the way it did, and it's the part where Peter Quill plays catch with his dad. <laughs> is it is it because Guardians of the Galaxy Part two is the best MCU movie ever made and it isn't close? We'll we'll do that episode someday. Um <laughs> that what the ranking MCU movies episode of the oh Guardians? Oh God! I mean, Guardians episode uh, would be a like like we could do an individual episode just on Guardians. I believe in, in us for that. But um, a ranking MCU that would be that would be a that would be a hell of an episode. That'll be a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> What's worse, Thor: The Dark World or Thor: Ragnarok? That's the part of the episode I look forward to. Have you seen this? This is, we're recording this right after Love and Thunder came out. Have you seen? I have yet? no interest. I don't. Okay, I don't want to. I'm not okay. gonna. Cool. Sounds did good. you see it? I did. I think? saw it two days ago. Or no, yesterday. I saw it literally yesterday, um, and I actually loved it. I liked it a lot more than Ragnarok. Um, oh, that's good. Uh, it's you know obviously it continues to not be a, a my a bisexual manifesto, um, but I don't know why the fuck you would come into a Marvel movie looking for it to be, like the queer representation you're looking it's it's not it's a marvel movie it's really it's really good for a marvel movie like and i like Mar i like the marvel movies and i think it's a really i think it's the best one since shang chi yeah i'm not working on a script that's called the working title is thor ragnarok is an irreverent mess and it's taika waititi's fault it's not a rough draft i have in my back pocket <laughs> okay so you're 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 a shark who's trying to be a good dad i think it's more centered around trying to be a good person to i also forgot to say his grandkids and i think 
oh, I love having characters when you can just be like, I think this is what they're experiencing. But I think it's more he understands that the relationship with his son is kind of irrevocably fucked. But he's trying to be a better person because he wants to be in his grandkids' life to some extent, mm. the extent his son will allow it to happen. I like that. I think that's actually more interesting and fresh as a take. I, I, I feel like I haven't seen that as much. You can probe me for more questions unless you have an idea. I'm brewing one. I'm looking at it and I'm brewing it, but I'm also trying to give you more because it's a really good concept. Usually my questions come from wanting to challenge you on something, being like, this is something I'm not clear on. But it actually, like, makes a lot of immediate sense to me. So just, like, thinking about Pathfinder as a role-playing game, my next thought is, like, okay, what what is that mechanically? It sounds like that's sort of like a brawler-type character. Yeah, I'd imagine the barbarian equivalent. Totally. Uh, barbarian is the barbarian equivalent. Oh, hell yeah. Do they rage? They, they, they sure do have some sort of a rage equivalency so what fuels your character's rage then if they if they're flying into a rage about something like where do they where 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 did he get that where does that come from answering that question is interesting because i you'll find out what recurring bits you have for characters if you make enough of them and i tend to make angry characters and i don't always justify that so an excuse to justify it is interesting it's, you've already built a character with, like, a lot of things going wrong in his life. And I think, like, whether or not those are the things that are feeding that rage, like, like either outcome there is interesting and tells us something about that character. I was going to say it's a mix of... If he's a warrior shark, I think that's just... Because, inevitably, I come with a character and I think what's the most badass situation I could put them in and through happenstance is a few dice away from death and I'm next to the boss who's gonna who's threatened to kill my son or whatever and I go you just crossed the line and I grab some minion thing I put him above my head I rip him in two I let the blood fall into my shark mouth and do the thing where the eyes get big and black and you burst into a rage so I think it's some of like I don't want it's saying cultural rage bordering on like racist (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just say like, well, it's part of his culture. He's an angry warrior, um, I, I but I, I think that's not so much cultural, but like just your your personal background and where you come from. If he's someone who's proud of all of these battle scars and uh, being a person who can assert his power over others, then rage is a fun aspect of that. So I think that's where some of it comes from. I also think some of it obviously comes from the fact of he got his wife killed and his son knows it and he wants to be in his grandkids life, but he can't because what he knows how to do is go into a rage. And now the rage is making him mad because damn it be better. That's good. That's like a, that's a, that's a fun mix of like external and internal rage that you can dramatize over the course of a conflict. Yeah. So what about you? What ideas you got going on in your head? The thing that is really interesting to me about Pathfinder as opposed to like a generic high fantasy setting basically is that there are guns and gears in this one, right? Um, that's why I own that source book because I really, I really like that flourish. I don't know, being able to have flintlock pistols coexist alongside like magic swords. Um, I love the aesthetic of that. And so I, I didn't want to waste that. I wanted to use an opportunity for that. At first I was like, okay, so I'll make a gunslinger, but that's too easy. Uh, I'm going to go the other direction. Um, there's an ancestry, so a new, you know, the the equivalent of a race. Um, that's an automaton. Um, so you can play like, like a ma- it's a magically animated robot, right? Like, there's a lot of ways you can go with 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 magic robot. It makes sense to go fighter. It makes sense to go like wizard, even. But, uh, that that makes it make too much sense for me. Um, so I kind of want to do the 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 subversive thing if I can. So I'm thinking um, automaton druid. I'm thinking about like an an automaton character who um has lived for probably like centuries born to some sort of uh, like fucking dead empire um that has like withered away to the passage of time until uh until this this automaton no longer has any idea like who they are in the world and they end up like living out this routine like life in this space that has like become overgrown with wilderness until like they themselves become sort of this like Radagast the Brown figure, this contemporary 
a, a figure who who is is in many ways an outcast and lives like with fucking like birds nests in its circuitry in its in its metal paneling that the whole thing is is overgrown with moss so that they're like their mechanical features are largely indistinguishable from from just like a moss coating and i think the angle that i'm interested in there is um a character who has a particular view of society that maybe isn't necessarily a kind one has this desire to um like return to this state of nature to be an untainted uncorrupted force that's that's you know a, a pile of moss but like underneath is inherently always metal and has this very like like quote unquote civilized this very anachronistic modern sensibility in in their very core that they can't ever quite get away from and the arc for that character that gets very obviously set up right is that phones aren't actually bad the idea of what even is nature is a is a contested and socially constructed one and that um uh you know you can have a relationship to nature um without like denying the parts of yourself that are products of the culture that made you um i that's all super fucking broad and abstract and thematic and i know it doesn't come down to like like a really specific here's the character um, because I, I, you sent, you start bottom up, and I tend to go top down on these things. Um, but that's that's the thing that I'm currently working on right now. That was so many words. I'm so fucking. Thank you for listening. It sounds like we've made some characters with a lot of self-loathing. Yeah, it really does. I wonder if that says anything about. I'm in therapy for the record. I just want that on the record. I am in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to help you with some questions, and you want to get into, like, the weeds of it. So I do. Me... Can they talk to animals? They're a druid, right? Can druids automatically talk to animals in this? I'm checking. I'm checking. One, you get an animal companion, so that'll be important to know. Two, um, you do have wild empathy, which is described as you have a connection to the creatures of the natural world that allow you allows you to communicate with them on a rudimentary level. You can make very simple requests of them. In most cases, wild animals will give you time to make your case. You can get basic ideas across to them, I think. Okay, that's neat. One thing that immediately pops out to me, and this is a tip to burgeoning player characters. It feels like neither of our characters have a specific reason for adventuring, and that is something that always helps your DM, so I think that's something we could answer. Oh, you're so right. But I think to kind of get yours more down to a lower level instead of high is i would ask who's when you think about this character who's their immediate relationship because who do they talk to are they just pontificating about the nature of nature in their own head or do they have a friend i mean they've got their animal companion it's got to be that right because um they like the the character i've described so far is very intentionally isolatory although maybe it's not intentional maybe this is a character who like lived in a place and then the whole empire in that place died and everyone moved out and their like connections slowly fell away. And it's like, you know how it, when you're a grown up, it's really hard to make connections and it's even harder to make them when um, the all the people who used to live here hundreds of years ago no longer live here. And you there's no one within a, a gajillion miles of you. So I'm kind of like, what if my animal companion is aquatic in some way, like to match the shark theming? like a fucking uh, a battle crab and then my battle crab claudia gets injured god my as if i'm playing this character in order to help claudia i have to find some kind of some kind of medicine that only exists in civilization or that i last saw in civilization that i there is a disease that is currently this is me giving the the dm a whole plot hook there's a disease that is running through the forest where i live that the alchemists of the civilization that used to live here used to be able to keep at bay easily um but now they're all gone i don't know the recipe it's been encroaching upon this character's space like a century and this character has like largely not noticed because 
Um, they largely are just like sort of not that observant to their surroundings, I think. And they like live on such a long time scale. It's sort of an end thing, um, like in a Tolkien sense, I think. And um, it's only when it hits Claudia that I think my character takes notice and goes, okay, I need to go find some alchemist to make this mysterious green fuzzy potion that the GM will surely have a field day figuring out later. And DMs, if you're lazy and you're worried about railing, getting the characters to do what you want, a character's backstory is a gift of a plot hook they will respond to 10 out of 10 times. Absolutely. I think I'm pretty good at making them. I've I've already dropped you like set like there's like three plot hooks in that backstory oh, that yeah. I just came up with in like 2 seconds. I've already made a wizard who's making the nothing from Neverending Story Absolutely, and that's what right. the encroaching plague is, right? What yeah, a fucking yeah. great movie and book. Are you bringing Claudia along like you, you've taken her out of the spot, right? I am bringing Claudia with me. So a uh, probably very aquatic themed adventure. Are, is is your character like what is your character's relationship to water? Like if you're a shark, what is that what does that mean for you and water? I because when I picture a king shark, I do and the steampunk trappings around his gills, I mostly imagine a fish out of water story. <laughs> But I picture something where he has a relationship with water he doesn't fully know how to connect to because through barbarian gladiator circumstance he was taken away from those tribal origins to go live in the big city. And I think I'm now connecting it to yours. He has some ideas about the way nature should function and not liking these big cities, man. Let's go to nature, right? Yeah, I'm I'm putting mixed kid feelings into the shark OC. That's what I'm doing right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I I think that's it. I think he he likes the idea. He has an idea of how it should function, and it doesn't always meet that. And his relationship to it is very complicated. There's a there's that feeling of when I go to a Mexican restaurant. And all of my family orders in Spanish, and then they get to me, and I say, can I have the, the three taco special uh, steak, please, cilantro and onion? And the waitress looks at me disappointed, and I go, this isn't my fault. Yeah. I didn't choose this. Yeah. Hey, everybody. It's me, Editing Devin. So full transparency, this next bit, Amber used a pretty airy vowel and popped her mic super hard, and none of my usual go-to editing tricks were cutting it and I couldn't really cut this bit out. So now we're here and I'm going to do a dramatic reread of the sentence Amber is about to say in the episode. And what I'm sure is the last time you'll hear from me, editing Devin. I have this thought then where my character has a really, really strong affinity for the water and spends a lot of time in it and is really familiar with it, but is made of metal and will rust. Every time I get in the water, I have to cast a little magic charm or spell to keep the rust at bay, kind of like adding on sunscreen. But over the centuries, it's losing its effect, and it is killing me. I am starting to, like, rust over. Just to, like, provide a little bit of a foil for you, I think. Oh, that gives me, if I'm the DM, that gives me a fun... Instead of roll for panic attack, roll to see if your joints work. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> you're rusted. How much more in the weeds with these two do you want to get? Because I, I can kind of see it. Yeah, then then, then do we want to come up with our, our mutual third? Um, I mean, I want to come up with like a basic like appearance and names for these two real quick. With mine, I'm going to cheat because I would Google some Polynesian names, but I can't Google things while I'm recording. So I would Google some Polynesian names and find one that sounds cool, and that would be the name of my shark man. Yeah, very Nanawe of you. My character is going to like look like anthropomorphic walking pile of like moss and and like like flowers with like occasional bits of like rusted metal poking out from the cracks and seams. Um, and I think that their name um, is going to be Spoon 
but it's like a kind of a mistranslation. It listen, it the word meant something different in 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 the old culture from several hundred centuries ago, <laughs> but now like a lot of time has passed. There's been a lot of linguistic drift, and now you know the name that that used to mean something really beautiful and meaningful. It it means spoon now. Um, uh, and they don't really understand why everybody else keeps reacting strangely to their name being Spoon. That's a very you thing to I do, and I fucking know. It. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to think of sharks who aren't great white sharks to get away from King Shark, despite that being the influence. Because I, you know, covered a myriad of scars and tattoos that kind of click in my brain and the cyberpunk doodads. So I'm just trying to think of a different type of shark. Two of the most visually interesting ones off the top of my head are like hammer ho- hammerhead and sawtooth sharks, um, but there's also like killer sharks. Ooh, I know I've been saying shark man the whole time, but killer whales look pretty sick. Yeah, killer whale would be a great pick. Mm, I'm gonna keep that one in the back pocket. Mm, nah, I d- mm. d- d- do killer whales have the rows of teeth? Because if I'm me, I'm definitely taking one of those tooth out in a scene to use it as an improvised weapon. Oh, oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. You are you, yeah. You know, I think tiger shark, because for some reason, hammerheads are very distinct, but I'd be like, I made a street shark! And I wouldn't want to think I made a street shark the entire time. Sure. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go with tiger shark. Okay. In which case, um, third character, we so far have, like, a, a barbarian and a druid. <laughs> that's right, Amber. We are onto the part of the show that's the most collaborative. Isn't that right, Amber? Who is in the room with me right now? Uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yes, yes, I am, yes. Excellent. And collaboration is not only the heart and soul of tabletop RPGs, but of independent podcasting? And that's why right now we're going to play a little ad for you for... And I'm so excited to get to say this unironically. Friend of the show, The Dark Universe. And I'd go on about what they do and how their podcast works, but they made an ad. They can sell themselves better than I can. So here you go, sweet, sweet audience. In 2017, Universal Studios announced The Dark Universe, an ambitious project that would see all of their classic movie monsters come together like some kind of horror Avengers. Only one movie was ever made, which bombed so hard they canceled the entire franchise. But what if they hadn't? On our podcast, Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe, we imagine the connected horror universe that never was. Every week, one of us pitches the other on the next movie in the universe until we grow to Marvel proportions and beyond. So far, we've tackled Frankenstein, The Wolfman, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and many more, and we're just getting started. Follow along on your favorite podcast app and ask yourself the question... Are you afraid of the dark universe? This one, I would like you to list some classes, because I don't know any. Absolutely. Go to page, um, conveniently they are all listed out in the core rulebook on page 69. (laughs) Nice. So, we have, um, alchemist, which is like a potions dude, um, barbarian, bard, champion... Druid, fighter, monk, ranger, rogue, sorcerer, wizard, investigator, oracle, swashbuckler, witch. Is an investigator a detective? Investigator uses knowledge to uncover mysteries and best their foes. Yes, I think they're a detective. Huh. Gonna keep that one in mind. I'm also excited about swashbuckler. Because who's not fucking excited about swashbuckler, am I right? We all love Seahawks. Everybody's the best. Everybody loves our gay pirates. Is is a, a truth universally acknowledged by everyone, including my TikTok, which keeps showing me gay women dressed as pirates. Inventor and gunslinger. That's all the classes that I currently have in front of me. I could look up more of them online, but I love my physical books and I want to feel like I'm getting my value out of them by using them. So the ones that stuck out to me were Ranger, because, oh, who doesn't love Aragorn? Champion, because everyone is wrong. You can make a paladin who functions within your party. Oh, that's so fucking true. All the complaining about paladins being cops are just like if you're being uninventive about how to fucking play paladins. Yeah, man. It's fucking, okay, what? 
We'll get back to this. But one real quick diatribe. Whenever you're like, my character would do X. Well, the characters are people, and people are subject to whims and emotional input. So, fucking... People can do anything if put in the right situations. Rant over. Uh, investigator, because medieval detectives neat. And witch, because I feel like we haven't made a girl in our party yet. And, you know, it's pretty normal for Dungeons & Dragons to have at least, maybe, possibly one female. Ugh, gross. Witch doesn't need to be a girl, but... Ours well, uh, I need to check my personal biases. <laughs> Thank you, Spider-Man. But yeah, those are the four that stick out to me. What about you? Yeah, um, uh, out of the ones that you just listed, I think that Ranger is maybe a little bit close to Druid for me, and Champion is maybe a little bit close to Barbarian, just in terms of like the role they fill in the party, right? I like, I like have this instinct, like if we're making Pathfinder characters, I want to make a balanced party. And so my instinct is to go with either investigator or witch. Could you read, is there like flavor text blurbs at the top of those that you could read? Let me pull them up. Here's investigator. You seek to uncover the truth, doggedly pursuing leads to reveal the plots of devious villains, discover ancient secrets, or unravel other mysteries. Your analytical mind quickly formulates solutions to complicated problems, and your honed senses identify even the most obscure clues. Wielding knowledge as a weapon, you study the creatures and dangers you encounter to exploit their weaknesses. This sounds very, like, logical big boy brain man. That's fucking... Oh, the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Oh, it's fucking Fuko. Fuko, Teddy. Oh, I can't remember the later ones. But your character and persona, who you hit the right button to go, what are their weakness? And then they go, I don't know yet! And then you find out, and then they know it. So a couple of example archetypes for investigators that they give are um, the coroner and the chemist. Oh, man, I want to play Pathfinder, and I want to have somebody play a swashbuckler. Oh, I want to do this so bad. Oh, I got to make it happen. Oh, I got to make it happen. Okay, the thing for which you command powerful magic, not through study or devotion to any ideal, but as a vessel or agent for a mysterious otherworldly patron that even you don't entirely understand. This entity might be a covert di divinity, a powerful fae, a manifestation of natural energies, an ancient spirit, or any other mighty supernatural being, but its nature is likely as much a mystery to you as it is to anyone else. Through a special familiar, your patron grants you versatile spells and powerful hexes to use as you see fit, though you're never certain if these gifts will end up serving your patron's larger plan. And then the two example kinds of witches are Hedge Witch. Oh no, that's it. That's, that's it. It's just Hedge Witch. God, making a fantasy detective is an interesting prospect, but Witch, when you describe the power source, I don't make spellcasters very often, but when I do... Oh boy, do I love it when they have to serve a dark master. That's my favorite thing to do. That's why whenever I do pick it, I pick a warlock. Great concept. Let me let me pitch you. We make our character class witch, but we do have them doing a bit of a Sherlock Holmes thing. Like we do have them using their powers um in order to solve a mystery. In like in Okay, story. yeah, okay. I'll, 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 I'll... I fucking, so, uh, brain blast? Yes. Okay. Go. Your robot man is investigating what is making the fungus come back and kill all of the dead things. You find me, who's an aquatic boy who can talk to your crab to help her mm -hmm. out while that's happening. Mm -hmm. The person who's really going to get down into the weeds and investigate what's going on is our witch, because she gets magic and she's a detective. That's fucking right. That's absolutely what's happening here. Oh, this is great because I just, uh, I just made like two sorcerers, and this is not like them. I'm so excited. I'm so excited at the idea of playing a chipper spellcaster who's really. I'm so excited to play fucking Naoto for Persona Four, but with magic and shit. God, yeah. I just, I see a a chipper witch last who's so excited to do some investigating and has found a bunch of dumb cases around town that don't really matter but has now found a super important one that no one in the village oh takes God. seriously because the angry shark man and the freak robot are the only ones talking about it but she knows it and she's gonna crack the case did you see the nice guys no okay you should absolutely watch the nice guys as soon as we hang up here you should go watch the nice guys it's incredible um it's a shane black movie um uh, that includes those of you oh, listening okay, back home you should watch the nice guys it's great oh is that fucking ryan gosling and uh and russell crowe yes 
Oh, yeah. I, oh, fuck, I got to see do. that. You got to see it. Um, okay. But if she's, like, weirdly chipper, let me sell you on, um, like, precocious magic child, basically. Like, 14 years old and, and off, like, solving mysteries. And, like, she absolutely should not be solving them. But she's, like, really competent. Like, she's doing her job. And everybody's like, oh, fucking K, you, like, know what's happening here more than anybody else does. Um, and she's like, yeah, it's because I have this, like, powerful connection to this, like like evil dark entity and everyone's like oh should you fucking have that uh, she's like no i got it don't worry about it and I, I, I like like she has this figured out in a way that nobody else has and that makes it not weird that a 14 year old is 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 joining the others on extremely dangerous life and death adventures i love naoto and i'm so excited we get to play her and not have her story about her gender identity end up weird in the sequel not getting into that today but amber i also have an idea okay so our witch girl yeah is in the body of a 14-year-old. Stop it. Right? But is actually a I'm thousand years old, so it's not... <laughs> this is not... I'm not making her... I'm not making her 14 like as an excuse to be horny about her. I mean, it's not... Oh, stop it. I don't... No, it's a terrible... That's a terrible idea. It's one of the worst tropes of all time. Get it the fuck out of here. I was not pitching this as a horny character. She can be a witch and it's and have it not be horny. Sometimes it is it is just a connection to it, to an evil magical force and that's and that's just a, a normal thing that, you know, it's it's normal to go through that in puberty. Everybody's gone through that a little bit and it's and it's not it's not inherently inappropriate. It's just a thing that bodies do sometimes. Here's a question and I want your answer on it because I make warlocks too damn often. Uh -huh. But if you're a chipper person, what gets you to be in league with a potentially eldritch force? A chaos lord, if you will. I think ambition and naivete. I think if you're an unusually chipper person, um, I think I could imagine this as being someone who um, is already in a, like a pretty privileged spot in society. Like Maybe she's like literally a princess or like some sort of other like figure of privilege. Um, and it, like, hasn't occurred to her that, like, this pact might have fucked up consequences because she hasn't, like, experienced a ton of consequences in her life. Um, and she goes, oh, like, I can make a pact with a demon. Like, why fucking not? I don't realize that actions have consequences yet because nothing bad has ever happened to me and you can find a way to make it more sympathetic than that, right? That's 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 obviously more on the character flaw side of the spectrum, like right, like this character is like in her way, like trying to do something good. Like she is, like, like let's roll with the princess idea. Say she's a princess. Um, she has like seen that something bad is happening in her, you know, her area of rule, and she's like, okay, I want to address that. How can I address that? Um, none of the none of the advisors here seem to know what to do, but like this creepy fucking guy who uh, is has been trying to get the ear of the king for a while, but the king or queen or whomever the monarch isn't listening, but he can get my ear um, because I'm much easier to get a hold of because my parents aren't paying as much attention to me because I'm 14 and so it's fine. Uh, uh, it's, it's much easier for like a like a like a, a member of the public with ill intention to get a hold of me and this person has sold me on uh the ability of cthulhu to solve all of the world's problems and i'm 14 and i uh, don't see any reason not to try that so yeah let's do that i'm trying to like help that okay what 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 parts of that felt good and what parts of that didn't feel good you're so good at giving a dm candy holy I'm shit i thought i was good i'm so at fucking it. good at it Devin. like i always try but damn there was just so much and because I've been in DM brain for so long, I'm like, oh, there's, there's no way I'm not lighting your castle on fire one of these Dude, days. Fucking oh, obviously, truly, like so much of making a character in an RPG is just giving the like, like okay, it's giving the the DM candy. It's, it's like finding ways to work unresolved threads into your backstory, and like, and like. And not knowing how they'll resolve. This is, like, a really big part of it is, like, there's this huge temptation when you're building a character to, like, want to come up with story threads and sort of know what the story threads are. But you're, like, you're going to be so much happier with a story if you come up with story threads that you specifically don't know. If you, like, invent characters 
Like, everybody's done the thing where they're like, I have this mentor figure who disappeared, right? Everybody's written that backstory. If you, like, come up with that character with an intention of how they'll end up, you're going to be much sadder than if you just, like, come up with this character um, and then just, like, leave them out there in the world and let the DM figure out if you give those plot hooks and then you play to find out. And then the other good part of being a good player for your DM is fucking taking initiative. I'm just off on my whole other other rant right now, and you're all going to be okay with that, and then you're going to come out of it better players at the other end of it, but... Um, like I, I tend to think that players are much more instrumental than GMs in terms of determining the, the success of a game. Like if you have a great GM, you can feed players incredible, incredible hooks, but the best game is never going to be the players like just going after hooks that the GM are feeding them. The best game is going to be the characters, the player characters making choices that drive the story forward. You want the story to be driven by the choices that your player characters are making. You want them to be making choices that are sometimes bad on purpose. You want them to be making like both in terms of ethically bad and in terms of like that are going to put the characters in compromising positions. You want the characters to be acting like tactically poorly. Sometimes you want to be making choices that reverse the power dynamics of a situation. Power dynamic reversals are super important. You can't do it like every scene or you can't do like major status quo shifting ones every single scene where your character has the big bad on the rocks and then like something happens that causes your character to lose their cool and make a bad choice and let the villain get a win. Like your players to be making character choices that drive the story. So like taking initiative to make those choices. And then the third, and I promise this is the last one thing, um, is just like being fucking aware of the... Um... Can you describe it and then I can kind of help you? What are the, what are the, the, the aliens from Galaxy Quest? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna feel stupid because I know the term. I just. And while we're on this rant of what makes for good player characters, I think a wonderful thing to do is to have open communication across the board. I'm a huge fan of ending sessions with roundtable discussions, discussing what we liked, character beats we liked, things we could improve, where we could take the campaign as a whole. It's a collaborative storytelling process for a reason, but. I know how I play, and I will very much have specific scenes in my head that I want to play at that require very specific setup, which can be a problem, but if you are attached to that, it is perfectly fair and valid to go up to the DM or another player character and go, hey, I kind of want this to happen so I can do X. And you can even do that in the middle of a session, and it's not cheating, because there's no cheating, it's just about having fun. So if you have a speech in your head but it's predicated on someone being like, hey, why'd you do that thing? You can just kind of nudge someone like, hey, could you say this thing so I can have this moment in my head that I want to do? And you'll feel better for it. We literally did that in um, like our D&D campaign. This was one of the, my, my first major moments of growth as like a gamer in the climax of the campaign. Um, like I took you aside for a second and I was like, hey, my character's about to do something fucking stupid and I need your character to talk me out of it, okay? Um, and like we, like we did that. We played that scene out. It was great. I think a lot of people have an idea of like talking about what I want beforehand is cheating and it's, it's not. not. And if you do it, you'll get to have the thing you want. And it's it'll really be better. True. The thing that I remembered is the Thermian argument. That's the phrase. Um, so the Thermians are the aliens in galaxy quest who think that um, all fiction is, is real, is real people. Um, and the Thermian argument is like this argument that you see all the fucking time in, in like bad media criticism about people who like, try to excuse flaws in media because it like makes sense in lore right like it's the the like like whisper can't wear clothes because she would suffocate if she couldn't breathe through her skin right like that's the thermian argument like even if it makes sense in fiction like there are real people who are writing these characters in these worlds and um it's much more important like thinking about the choices that the real world people telling the story made than like the lore reasons why a thing would happen. Um, which the reason that's related is that like, there's like this really common motif when you're playing RPGs, which is like, this is what my character would do. But of course um, you get to decide what your character would do. Good role-playing is not saying my character wouldn't go on this quest because it's not what my character would do. Good role-playing is finding a reason why your character would go on the plot hook that the DM has given you. Um, it's, it's making the game work for everyone, work for your character, finding in-character reasons to make the story happen. Um, yeah, okay. 
The, I don't know why I got on that, but those are those are Amber Autumn's hot and sexy tips for being a better player in RPGs, part one. So our detective witch girl who's in over... Yeah. Because uh, I could feel me wanting to go off on another tangent, and we can do this all day. We, <laughs> we really could. talk we really about could. tabletop RPGs all day. Uh, yeah, but I gave you that whole pitch. Um, does all that feel good? Do we want to make her literally a princess? What do we want to do? Yeah, I like the princess Great. beat. I like the the whispers of a... I think I would want a more mythical thing than a Rasputin. Yeah, like, I like that. Yeah, because it's a fantasy. I don't want just some stranger who's trying to talk to the king and queen. I want, like, maybe a voice in the fire, maybe a whisper on the wind, something more that than just a dude who shows up one day because I'm me and I know what I like. Okay, I like voice in the fire. Let me follow up, though. What if instead it's a voice in the river because we have an aquatic theme already? Ah, yeah, right? right? You did it. <laughs> You did it. You did it. You'd look at you. But yeah, that's great. I love that. Voice voice of the fucking sea. Uh, man, we have a real... We got a real... Aqua- oh, f- when we come back to this, we have to make a swashbuckler. Obviously. We've made such an aquatic campaign. Oh my god, you're right. I'm thinking for names. I'm thinking something that starts with a P. Peregrine. Um, Persephone. Penelope. Penelope. Princess Penelope. Penelope. <laughs> visuals for penelope and i think we've got the first half of a party then right and then we kind of just shoot fun facts about them to end out episodes right i think that's it okay here's my immediate idea for visual and then you can shoot off after that but you do a princess in the popper thing because she's a serious detective so she puts on peasant people detective clothes but she's really bad at it, and it's very obvious that she's still a princess, and it's very high fashion, very expensive things, and everyone in her kingdom at least kind of goes along with it. I would, I would do anything for Penelope. I love her to death. Yeah, no, I have, I no notes. That's perfect. Let's keep it. All right, sick. See, so yeah, unless there's any like other pressing thing you want to get with one of these characters, I think we're on fun, fun facts. facts. Let's fucking do it. My fun fact for Penelope is, like, the second she's out of the kingdom, she goes barefoot because she really wants to be barefoot because she's a Mm. witch. But she knows she can't do it if her parents are around. But now we're, like, on a ship and Mm -hmm. stuff, and my parents aren't on the ship, and I can be barefoot Mm -hmm. all I want. I want her to have a a pet rock. She has a familiar. Um, uh, She does not pay as much attention to the familiar as she does to the pet rock. The familiar probably, there's probably a running bit where the familiar is jealous about it. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, DM candy, you're just littering them. (laughs) Ah, give me those easy NPCs. I want Spoon's body to be constructed so that whenever there's a wind, um, they like whistle. They whistle like a, like, like water over a Coke bottle. You've got the audio clip from Wizard of Oz to whenever Mm -hmm, you need mm -hmm, it. mm I want Spoon to, and I might be wrong here because I'm not super familiar with Pathfinder character sheets, but to have, like, proficiency in lore or history or something because they're really old and they're often excited to tell you the lore, but it's a running bit where the player characters don't care because shut up, I'm not here for your fucking math homework, man. It's funny. I don't know if this counts as a fun fact, but this is the thing I have in my brain for Tiger Shark name pending. He's down for seafood, and there's recurring discussion with the other player characters of like, hey man, that's cannibalism. And he's like, no, it's not. I'm eating guppies, not sharks. It's f- Shut up. But now the fun fact is he's totally down for cannibalism. Yeah. Like, he, like the uh, how long would it take for you? He's like, no, I'm already eating them. It's fine. I want um, a running bit where um, everybody around him comments like, <laughs> oh, are you like, we- are you like wearing something? He's like, no, I just smell like this. <laughs> That's great. Is that all of it? I can't wait for the... Yeah, that's all of it. I can't wait for the third episode of this installment where we, like, where we explain how a GM should incorporate a character's backstory to make most of what the campaign will be. That'll be fun when we get there. (laughs) Uh, Join us for next week's episode of Original Podcast Do Not Steal when Devin tries to get us to talk about professional wrestling, but instead... Fuck, what was I going to have us talk about? It was something fucking stupid.
Okay, well, I don't remember what I was going to have us talk about, so I'm going to have it be something equally stupid. Join us next week when Devin tries to get us to talk about professional <laughs> wrestling, but instead we talk about South Park. Sorry. Um, sorry, everybody. Uh, oh, I thought we were going to do the South Park episode with Katrina. Oh, oh fuck. Do we have to save that one? <laughs> Shit. You're right. We do have to save that one, don't we? I mean, there's... <laughs> we got to save that one for a particular guest. That's really embarrassing for her that we're saving the South Park episode for her. Shit. God, uh, <laughs> last time I talked to Katrina and she told me she was into South Park, the, the whole conversation at the Barnabies, we completely ignored Jackie and Cameron, and it was just us talking about South Park. She has a whole Park. Twitter for it. I <laughs> Honestly, um, I, I love her to death. She's the... Uh, I, I, I would do anything for Katrina. And, and also, uh, like, this is a roast. The, all of this is a roast. Okay, fuck it. Let's do a Mr. Boop character. I don't... Ah, uh, that's gonna be you talking. I don't know what that is on yep, the top of my head. Um, that's gonna be me talking, and I'm sorry, but I'm so excited to hear your voice when you hear about that. My sign-off is, I will do everything within my power to monetize our friendship. Couldn't think of a good segue, but look at all this extra content you got out of us. Come on, don't you want to give us a little money? A nickel? <laughs> Buy my tabletop role-playing game, Scared Zondo. Bye! Buy it! Bye!